I'd like to begin by uh, asking a question and getting us all to think a little bit. The question is this. When in your life have you felt afraid? We all go through times of fear and uncertainty. What has been your experience? Perhaps your mind races back to being a child. Maybe you got separated from your parents, lost in a big shop or the busy streets of a city. You knew the fear of being separated from those you love. Perhaps you think of your teenage years and the moments before entering the exam room. Suddenly you knew the fear of failure. Perhaps the moments of fear came when you were on the cusp of making a big decision. Getting married, having children, moving job. You knew the fear that comes with change and the unknown that lies beyond. Maybe your fear is related to a sense of vulnerability. You're away in an unknown place. Maybe you'd just been burgled and you didn't know whether the criminals would come back. Maybe you're walking down a dark alley and aware of strangers in the shadows. Maybe your fears revolved around your family and children. You can see they're struggling. You want the best for them. You fear for their well-being. Or maybe, like I guess most of us, your fears are linked to health, bereavement and death. Those moments outside the consultant's room waiting for a diagnosis. The days after a funeral where you just do not know how you'll go on without your loved one. Or those sudden juddering shocks where we become aware of our own mortality just a split second before we push it to the back of our mind again. What has it been for you? What has made you fearful? Fear is a very human emotion, isn't it? We have all experienced it. Now, as you think back, I'd like you to try and remember something else. How did you get through those times? What brought you relief? Have you ever found peace for your fears? Or are you still looking for it? If you are, you're in the right place. And this reading contains the help that you need. At the start of our passage, the disciples are afraid. And there are a whole host of reasons as to why. In fact, these different reasons pile on top of each other until we reach verse 19, where we read that they are truly frightened. Let's have a brief look at what has happened. The story begins directly after the disciples have witnessed an incredible miracle. Jesus has fed a crowd of 5,000 people for one boy's packed lunch. And all those there that day must have felt exhilarated. But here they are, just a few hours later, terrified. Isn't this so often the way in life? We come off a great high to hit a crashing low just beyond it. Life can be this roller coaster of emotion with seemingly no rhyme or reason to it. And these great swings of emotion can be incredibly unsettling, especially when they occur through no fault of our own. 
which is the case in this story. At no point do the disciples do anything wrong. Their difficulties begin with a moment of confusion. The disciples are expecting to go to Capernaum, but Jesus has disappeared. He ventured up the mountain by himself and has not come back. And now the night is falling and the disciples are unsure what to do. Should they head off to find shelter and food or should they wait for their friend and master? Presumably as the hours have passed, their questions have mounted up. What is Jesus doing up there by himself? Why is he not back yet? Does he not know it'll be dark soon? Has he left us, forgotten about us? Remember, these men have given up everything they had to follow Jesus. And this disappearing act is hardly building their trust. In the end, they decide to head off without him. A difficult decision, I'm sure. Had they made the right one? In their confusion, they must have keenly felt Jesus' absence. They must have felt alone. I love the way John describes these moments. His writing is so evocative. In verse 17, he tells us, By now it was dark. Aren't our fears so much worse at night time? There's something so foreboding, so discouraging about darkness. Darkness can feel oppressive to us. Anyone who is laid awake at night worrying knows exactly what the disciples are experiencing here. But of course, as the disciples head out in their boat, things quickly get a lot worse. Verse 18 tells us that suddenly a strong wind starts blowing and the waters grow rough. A real storm roars in. Now remember, these are experienced fishermen. They are used to being out in all weathers. So if this storm has made even them afraid, it must have been a serious one. The forces of nature scare us, don't they? The wind can be ferocious. The waves can be terrifying. We know they can snuff out life and that we can do very little to resist them. These disciples are aware of the closeness of death. And like us all, they naturally fear it. But there's something else going on here as well. Not only is the storm frightening in and of itself, but for the Jews, it carried a whole host of other meanings as well. It may surprise you to hear this, but the Jews were not a seafaring people. Yes, they fished the lake, but they did not venture far on boats, certainly not like their neighbours did. And this is because deep waters carried this almost mythical element to them. The restless motion of the sea was seen as dangerous and chaotic to the Jews. It was an untamable force that unsettled them. They believed that in the creation of the world, God had calmed the waters and given them their proper boundary. But they lived in fear of them, spilling back over again, returning the world to chaos once more. The Jews also believed in sea monsters, beasts of the deep. We read about them in the Psalms. They had terrifying names like Leviathan. They didn't understand fully about sharks and whales. All they knew was that there were huge creatures out there that they didn't want anything to do with. For all these reasons, the sea deeply unsettled the Jews. It was dangerous and chaotic and unknown. 
It was a picture of evil to them. All that damages and destroys. And in a raging storm, all this mythology would have felt very real indeed. So the disciples are afraid. And their fear has been building. They're exhausted from the previous miracle. They're confused by Jesus' absence. They're unsettled by the dark. And then this furious storm blows in that threatens to drown them and drag them into the realms of monsters and chaos. But incredibly, despite all this, their biggest fear is still to come. We're told that they're really frightened when they look out and see Jesus walking towards them on the water. Human beings do not walk on water. The disciples have never seen this before. Have they become so overcome by emotion and now delusional? Are they seeing things? Is this a ghost? Is this an evil spirit risen up from the realm of the deep? Their nerves are red raw already. What on earth is this coming towards them? And suddenly we see one of the greatest causes of fear in our lives. The unknown. Few things make us fear as much as those that we have never encountered before. So all of this builds up and up. The roller coaster of emotion, the confusion and sense of being alone, the worrying darkness, the life endangering storm, the fear of evil. And finally, something totally unknown, totally out of their experience coming directly towards them. It's like a cocktail of all the things that are most likely to make us afraid. And the disciples are afraid. Very afraid. They're frightened. They're terrified. And you and I would have been exactly the same. This then is a story about fear. An emotion we all know. We've all experienced fear. And we will all experience it again. Even those of us who've seen God do amazing things previously in our lives will at times find ourselves feeling afraid. And maybe there's someone here tonight who needs to hear this. Maybe there is someone here who feels as though there's a storm raging around them, or they feel alone, or they feel in the dark, or discouraged by their situation. Here is a story directly relevant to when we feel just like that. So what happens next? Well, what happens next is that Jesus walks up to his disciples and he makes himself known. He wants his friends to know who it is that has come to rescue them. As ever with John, the words here are very important. Verses 19 to 20. When they rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I. Don't be afraid. Now, sadly, here our English translations let us down a little bit. When Jesus says, it is I, don't be afraid. What he literally says is this. I am. Do not be afraid. I am. Ego Amy in the Greek. I am. Do not be afraid. Now, anyone here who knows their Bible, your ears should have just pricked up 
Because the words I am are very significant. I am is the name of God. Right back near the start of the Old Testament, God called a man named Moses to do a very daring thing. He was to march into the palace of the Egyptian pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world at that time, and demand that he let his slaves go free. God wanted his people Israel released from Pharaoh's oppressive clutches. And Moses was understandably terrified by this. Not only was he just a humble 80-year-old shepherd, he was a humble old shepherd with a criminal record. He was wanted for murder in Egypt. He lived the last 40 years of his life in the wilderness because of it. So when God calls Moses to this task, he immediately starts making excuses, trying to get himself out of it. And eventually he turns to the Lord and he says this. Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? And what shall I tell them? It's a good question, isn't it? Moses needs some evidence to back up his claim. And this is how God replies. Exodus 3, 14 to 15. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. In the Bible then, God's name is I am. When he says, I am who I am, he means I am God. I will always be God. I am the all-powerful, all-faithful one who will never change. I am everything you need me to be. I will always be everything you need me to be. For all generations, all time, I am God. And I am the one you should turn to in times of trouble. Now we need to know this background to see the full beauty of this story. The disciples are terrified. Terrified of the dark and death and the deep. Terrified of this unknown thing coming directly towards them. And suddenly Jesus speaks. It is I. I am. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, disciples. God is here. The Jews memorized and sung psalms about this God. In Psalm 93, the one we started this service with, they celebrated the God who was mightier than the breakers of the sea. In Psalm 107, they remembered the frightened mariners who cried out to God in prayer and God stilled the storm to a whisper. The disciples had sung and prayed to the God of the waters all their lives. And suddenly here he was, right in front of them, walking towards them in the person of Jesus. What an incredible discovery. And of course, this God had a track record of rescuing his people from their greatest fears. God gave Moses his name, I am, at the beginning of the Exodus story, or the Passover story, as it's also called. And if you were here last week, you will know that the very day that this event is happening was at the time the Jews were celebrating the Passover. 
In the Passover story, God had also rescued his people in a way involving the sea. When the Israelites were stuck between Pharaoh's army and the Red Sea, they were terrified. They thought they were all going to die. But God caused a wind to blow and the waves to pile up and the people passed through on dry ground to the other side. Remembering these events was part of the celebrations going on in the land at the exact time that this miracle took place. And here is Jesus declaring, I am, I am that God. I am the God who created the world. I am the God who delivered you from Pharaoh. I am the one who delivered the Israelites from death by the Red Sea. And I'm going to do the same for you. Right now. This background is important. Because as soon as Jesus says those words, I am, do not be afraid. This is what the disciples would have been thinking about. Notice how Jesus says his name, I am, before he says, do not be afraid. This is because he wants his friends to realise that hope and peace come from recognising who he is and nowhere else. He is the God who had the power to still the waters in creation He is the God who had the power to rescue his people from Egypt. He is the God who has the power to save them now. The presence of Jesus has the power to change everything. From fear of death and darkness and evil, peace can be found, but only in him. So the disciples were terrified and Jesus walks out to them and makes himself known. Next comes a very important step. The disciples invite Jesus onto their boat. Verse 21. Jesus said to them, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into their boat and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. What we need to see here is a true step of faith. Amid the tumult of the storm, amid the raging fears of their hearts and minds, on hearing who Jesus really is, the disciples invite him on board. And it's only after they have done so that they find themselves brought to safe haven. There is no doubt that this is an extraordinary miracle. A miracle that only Jesus, the Son of God, could achieve. But there was still a part for the disciples to play. As they became aware of his presence, they had to make a response of faith. They had to stop trying to battle the storm in their own strength and invite Jesus on board. And the same is true for us today. The foundation of any hope or peace that we have is recognising the presence of Jesus and who he is and what he can do. However scary or distressing our circumstances, we are to believe that Jesus can make a difference, that he can see us safely through them to the other side. And then we're to make an act of trust. We're to stop fighting on our own. And invite Jesus into our lives through prayer. Maybe we're traveling through a storm at the moment. Maybe we are feeling afraid. 
As we read this story, we're to see Jesus walking towards us. Here he is, present by our side. We're to hear Jesus calling to us above the height of the storm. It is I, I am. Do not be afraid. And we're to give our fears to him and invite him into our lives. For that is the path to peace. And I encourage us all to make that step of faith today. Our passage ends with a few eyewitness details that should give us confidence that this miraculous event really did happen. When the crowds realised that Jesus had crossed the sea, they were shocked because they knew he hadn't got into the boat with the disciples. And as a result, result, they, they rush off to search for him once more, wanting to find out for themselves who he is. And when they eventually track him down, Jesus will give them some challenging answers to think about. Come back next week and you'll find out what they are. But I want to finish by reiterating the truth of this story. As believers, we always have grounds for hope because Jesus is with us. No matter what we face, no matter what fears are rising within us, we can rest assured that God will protect and rescue and guide us. He will bring us through the present strife to the safety of his rest. It's true in life and it's true in death. If you put your faith in the great I am, peace can truly be found.